0: As of just a week or two ago, something like that. That's an exciting place in life to be. And everybody that is a grandparent said amen. For lots of reasons. That's the worst amen. Grandparents, listen, I'm celebrating. Me and Sherry have 10. 10. Shatakaya Mosia. I can't tell you how excited I am that you're in service with us today. I appreciate you so much sharing your time with us. We've got some... uh, seniors that are graduating soon i'm sure me and joe get together and get a plan of way to honor and recognize them some have already graduated others are we're throwing out a few uh, god bless you's and i think it's just appropriate um i'm going to throw out here that connor Bice's baseball team is in the finals of the state tournament i think that deserves a if it was our boys right joe we were playing in the basketball finals you and i'd be doing cartwheels right here wouldn't we because you always say you wouldn't even be here so, <laughs> so congratulations, and uh, we'll let times be known. If anybody wants to go down there when that gets, uh, when that time gets posted, a couple other things that are just, uh, just to be aware of. Of course, uh, uh, it's already been mentioned about our uh, our ladies. Um, I don't. What what are we calling that, Alicia? The uh, what's the the official title? Meet and greet. It's meet and greet. There's the official right there for this. Uh, This coming uh, Friday night I want to really encourage the ladies I mean there's no reason Unless you are working that night That you can't be there You should really strive If at all possible I think you'll really receive You'll make great connections And uh, it'll be a great powerful moment for you So uh, make sure that you plan to be a part of it Um, I do want to throw out this uh, one last thing real quickly Because it's been on mine and and Alyssa's conversation here uh, Just in our conversations at home you know, there's a lot that's still going on around the country with COVID, and we're with uh, mass and conflict of one viewpoint and the other point. I'm just want to go ahead and let you know that the end of that is not over as of yet, and there'll be more and more with the with the mass, sum with the mass mandate, and and trying to put it on employees. And there's a lot that is happening kind of behind the scenes in employees that I, I'm not for sure that uh, we have seen. The, we, we've just seen the beginning of the turmoil that's going to come from that. So y'all just get ready. So brace yourselves. Kind of maybe I don't want to say it's leading to my message, but the message I have today is a little controversial. So I think I'll go just, I needed a spark to get into that controversial moment here. I want you to turn with me to a familiar passage. We're going we're gonna to read just about six verses to start. If you find it, uh, stand by honoring the word of God. And that's in First Thessalonians 4. Today. Now, we're going to actually go into chapter 5 in a little while, but right now we're only going to read these beginning verses here. And I am a really appreciative of you being in service with us today, and I believe that God has given me a word, and I'm going to be at peace as I share this word. Um, I'm going to trust the Lord's going to add his agreement to it. So we're reading in the New Testament, the epistle to the church at Thessalonica penned by the Apostle Paul here The fourth chapter, verses 13 through 18, which I have read many times at funeral services to encourage, and you see that in the last words, verse 18, in a moment, but let's read it together here. It said, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. I could pause right there, and every lady in here would want me to speak to the men in their lives. Now the ladies give me a good amen. Amen. Would not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep. How many know he's not talking here about the, the, the natural sleep from 10 p.m. to 7 or 6 or 5 a.m. He's talking about death. Those that sleep in the Lord. That you sorrow not even as others who have no hope. If you don't have Christ, then you don't have hope in eternity. Is that right? That's what the apostle here is explaining to us. For if we, that's you and I, believe that Jesus died and rose again, do you believe that today? I do with all my heart. I believe he died physically and he rose again by the power of God. Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus, meaning those that have died with the testimony of faith in Christ, will God bring with him on the great resurrection day. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. So this was a prophetic word given by the apostle that we, so Paul's expectation, we'll talk about that in a moment, which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's a powerful word, isn't it? Verse 18 then, he says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now obviously, one of the intents that's of the apostle's heart, is to share that, there, that death is not final to the believer. Right. Correct? Because the context is death, those that sleep in Jesus. And the comfort for those that are left living, who are grieving for those that have died, is that there's going to come a moment when a trump sounds and there's a mighty change that's at work. So I'm going to preach to you a message that I've entitled, The Coming of the Lord be careful, so as I go into this, i must stretch and strain you and pull you in a way that when someone preaches from this subject that you are probably not as familiar with as what I'm going to do to you today. And you'll have to be the one that decides whether or not Pastor Brown has a correct angle on this application. So, I have a, I have, I'm at peace with where I'm going to, what I'm going to share, and I'm going to trust that God's going to help you. Father, I pray today in gratitude for the presence of God that's in this room, thankful for it, thankful for the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray today, God, that as we have readily expressed our desire for the Holy Spirit to come and be upon our hearts to empower us, Father God, as worshipers, Lord, we also pray for the Holy Spirit to create illumination, to enlighten our spiritual eyes, to see and to hear and to understand the Word of God. I remember that the Apostle Paul says we ought to rightly divide the Word of Truth, and I pray that we will do that today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. thank you so much for worshiping with me by honoring the Word of God. I want to kind of be as transparent as I can. Now, this is a very familiar title, not as much subject to everyone in the sound of my voice, but the The title or the subject of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And other passages speak about in our soon gathering unto him. That is taken here, the coming of the Lord, is actually taken directly from verse number 15. For here, the apostle says that by the word of the Lord, we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord... Now, I want to expound upon this text here in just a moment, and, uh, but before I do, I'll have to share with you real quickly the compulsion that I have in my heart. I'm actually extending the emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, you say, now, Pastor Brown, how is that? This is like an entirely different subject matter. Well, not if you really look at it closely and look at it in the same and the correct, what I believe, vein. I think it will help you here to see this. But I wanted you to know that I have a personal issue. My personal issue is is that I have a perception in the minds of some that I am, and I've felt it myself at times, that I am a pastor without an end times message because I don't preach on that vein of thought very often. And I know that it frustrates some of which who have heard a lot of preaching, especially in the Pentecostal movement along that line. And I want to be as transparent and share with you today of kind of why is that the case. Because the reality is, is that I'm not a pastor without an end time message. I have a message. It's just different than what you have been typically exposed to if you've been either raised in the Baptist church or the Pentecostal church. Which primarily gives us the thought of what we know in eschatology. Eschatology is the word from, that's derived from two Greek words, which means last things or the study of last things. And so my theology is slightly different from what most people are familiar with. Now, I haven't written a book and I don't have a podcast and I don't have a, a television program related to it, but I do have a conviction. As a pastor, I want to share that conviction. I want you to know today that I believe with all of my heart in the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the physical, literal, imminent return of Christ to this earth. But I want to say real quickly is that some of my particular supporting Thought process here is a little bit different than even many that are in the assemblies of God. I'll share with you in just a moment of time. This particular passage is often the passage that is noted the rapture doctrine. And the rapture here—what does that mean? Many of you have that word. You say, "Well, I've heard about that." You got to get ready for the rapture. You get right or get left. You get caught up. We got T-shirts printed. We got billboards printed up. You know, we've got books written. What to do if you miss the rapture of the church? And here's the reality: the word rapture does not actually even appear in the King James version of the Bible. It's taken from that verse number 17, where it says, "Caught up." That word, "caught up," together actually is taken from the word harpazo in the greek it means to snatch or be caught up or gathered to And so it's from there that the word was applied in our generation of rapture. So it's taken almost expressly from that particular verse of Scripture. Now, when I see this, my emphasis, I hate to say this, is not as much on rapture as it is on encouraging and comforting those who have lost loved ones, just to be honest, because I as a pastor have walked with many through the valley of the shadow of death, and I've watched the heart grieve and break in sorrow when we have said goodbye to one that we love, And I've taken this passage of scripture to focus on the fact that it speaks about that the living, those that are alive at the return of Christ, are not going to precede those who have already gone. That When that trumpet sounds, and Paul speaks of it in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says this mortal will put on immortality in a twinkling of an eye. That's how quickly it will be. That's how quickly a change, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, a change will be worked And so that which is dead and decayed and even scattered to the four corners of the world, the dust of the air, to the degree of those whose bodies were either burned or thousands of years have now passed. And there are no skeletons or bones to be raised up like Ezekiel 37, but there's but dust. I believe that the God who formed man from the dust of the ground, will bring that dust back together to form that body for that body to be re-inhabited by the Spirit, but it will be an eternal body that's fashioned like His glorious body that's been changed, a miraculous work. So, So my belief is the same as yours in that sense, but I have a little bit different emphasis. So, so much in our time today, we have so much emphasis on the antichrist we have a lot of emphasis on the state of israel we have a lot of emphasis on world events and we use that to be predictive of when the time that we believe immediately precedes the coming of the lord and that's where i don't i don't back away from preaching the coming of the lord but i do back away from making my focus about the antichrist i don't have time to be thinking about the antichrist i want my affection on the christ I just told you a long time ago that in order to determine whether or not you can identify counterfeit money, you don't study the counterfeit. You study the authentic. And if you know the authentic well, then you will quickly and easily discern the counterfeit. So I ain't got time to be searching to say, was it mausoleum, you know, in the days gone by, or was it... Uh, Gorbachev, or where, whether it was a, a leader of Russia, or Putin, or whether it is uh, you know the the Pope, or I I, I don't I don't go that, way. I don't walk down that. Way. I've had people come into my office, they want to talk about this. I had this one brother one time started just sat down real quickly, wanted to immediately begin to talk about how God had showed him about a prophet and how this was going to happen. And I just you know I quickly just moved on from him because that's just not my genre. That's not where I'm at. But at the same time, I don't want you to think that I don't have the conviction towards the coming of the Lord. Because the next verses of Scripture in a moment is going to help you see where my convictions are drawn from. I do take a public stance on what I believe is the misappropriation of a particular biblical text that is so often used among us, our movement, the Assemblies of God, and also, again, other Protestant denominations related to the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the Olivet Discourse. I'm going to take... Issue with how we use and how we teach that passage here today. During the time of the early days of the pandemic, when I didn't have a crowd or an audience to speak to, I did do a little bit of teaching sitting at my desk at my home and put it there on Facebook for everybody to see and hear. But I want to go ahead and just share with you about that real quickly, and we're going to kind of glean into that for just a moment of time because obviously paul here is referencing the coming of the lord this is not his only reference in this particular book or passage he's going to go out with a bang and so am i in first thessalonians 5 but in a moment here i want to just share with you though that one of the most famous and familiar passages that we often apply to the coming of the lord in our generation i believe it is a misappropriation of that text I'll explain to you what I mean here now. So the Olivet Discourse is recorded by what we call the synoptic gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so these writers write in a very similar fashion, covering many of the same stories, but from a little bit different perspective. Each one of these gospel writers records a moment in the final week of Jesus' life when he has actually set the city on uproar. You're familiar with Matthew 23, you will find Jesus' scathing rebuke of the Pharisees. He, rebu- he called them a den of vipers, a den of devils. He called them whited sepulchers. He said, you look good on the outside, but on the inside you are nothing but dead men's bones. And so the, they were already making plans for his destruction and demise. They were preparing to to buy him out, to sell out. One of his disciples would sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. So he leaves that audience in the temple, and as as he's leaving, the disciples that are walking with him, one unnamed disciple, looks at the beautiful stones of the temple and draws attention to those stones and jesus responds to what he says and that's what we're going to pick it up we're going to read matthew 24 verses 1 through 3 we're going to pause there and then i'm going to add a couple other scriptures to give you some validation to it now if you've ever studied the scripture very long you're familiar with this text now last week i preached like a madman today i'm going to do some teaching and maybe have a little bit of evangelical exhortation at the end so let's see where we go Verse 1 Jesus went out and departed from the temple. His disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, so I've told you the truth so far, right? I said they were leaving the temple, and one of his disciples, kind of like here, I, you know, I could say, well, look at this this uh, billboard, or not billboard, what is that? A, a banner, this banner that we have, or this wall that we have here. They were looking at the grandeur of the temple and, and drew Jesus' attention to it. And Jesus said unto them, see you not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And you could have heard a pin drop when he said that amongst those disciples. That the very temple, the second temple, Solomon's temple that had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, had been rebuilt by Zerubbabel and now beautified by the Edomite king Herod that was uh, uh, glorious and people came from all over the known world to worship god there that this man this radical rabbi said it's not going to be long before every stone is overturned and you could have heard like it is in here a pin drop and so they they go ahead and leave they cross the Kidron valley they go up to the mount of olives and from the mount of olives you could see the temple mount as clearly as when you're driving down Main Street of Heber Springs that you can see Sugarloaf far out eastward towards Wilburn. They could easily see the temple from where Jesus then continued this discussion. And he sat on the Mount of Olives... And here's the disciples' questions. They came unto him privately, and they said, Tell us, when shall... And read these three. There are three things that they requested, but we're going to add to this in a moment. Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? That's the King James English. And so from that particular passage of Scripture, then we begin to go deeply into to Jesus' dialogue in our generation, and we use the events that he shares in this following, I don't know, 40, uh, 40 verses of Scripture approximately, and we try to make that applicable to the times and seasons in which we live. And I've said it this way, and I'm going to say it again for you today. It was futurist uh, If you would have been in the audience of Jesus that day, but it was in the past when we look at it through the correct lens, it was prophecy to the T that Jesus prophesied the destruction of the temple. Anybody that studied anything about the history of Judaism knows that in 70 A.D. the Roman general Titus. uh, with the 10th legion of rome had surrounded the city of jerusalem for at least three and a half years and a famine had taken place inside the city they had breached the city there was inner fighting inside the city the zealots in the city had turned on the other jews they had burned up all of their food sources The people were starving, and the Romans overtook the city. They overthrew the temple. They burned the temple exactly as Jesus said. But the reason why the stones were turned over is they they took the gold that had been placed as mortar between many of the stones. And blood flowed that day, exactly what had been prophesied in the book of Revelation, to the horse's bridle when 800,000 to 1 million Jews that had been trapped in the city lost their life in a very short period of time. And it came to pass exactly as Jesus said. But what we do, where I think we damage the text is, we reach back into history and try to make it applicable to our generation. Three questions were asked. Tell us when these things shall be And what shall be the sign of thy coming? Now remember this, when they ask Jesus thy coming, they are not anticipating his return. When you and I say, we are waiting on the coming of the Lord, we're waiting on his return. They didn't believe he was going to leave the first time. Are y'all out there today? How many know it's important to read the Bible correctly? And then a third question, and of the end of the world. Here's the issue that we have. When we think about the end of the world, we think about the last days. We think about eschatology, the last things before the, the, the consummation of human history. The problem with making that application here to this text is that's not the word cosmos in the Greek. The word cosmos is used later in the text to speak of the world as a whole. But it's a Greek word that means age. So if you look at it through that lens, that changes it a little bit. And it wasn't the end of the world and the consummation of all of human history, but rather it was the end of an age. And then now let's look at it real quickly through the way that it was spoken of through the other apostles that gave record. Mark 13, verse number 4. This is how they posed the question. See if this doesn't change your perspective of the olivet discourse here in just a moment chapter 13 verse 4 are y'all out there all right now it's real quiet in here but i hope that it's quiet because you're willing to be challenged well jesus help the people god let's i want to be a learn. i want to be one who learns i want to be a student i want to know i want to be convinced of some things let's read it through the way mark says now think about what he said the building's going to be overthrown Tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled. So if you only read it through Mark's lens, you wouldn't even think anything about the end of the world, would you? You wouldn't even be thinking about it. You'd just be thinking, when is this building going to be destroyed? That's what you'd be thinking. Now let's go a little bit farther. Let's go to Luke's gospel and let's see what Luke had to say. Luke chapter number 21, we're going to read verse number 7. Now I know that some of you are thinking, Pastor, you're disheartening me. I'm not disheartening. If you'll stay with me, you'll see why I radically believe in the coming of the Lord. Here in just a few moments. But let's stay here together. I, I, but I feel like they used to say this in the early days of, of the Word of Faith movement when I was lightly a part of the Word of Faith movement back in the middle 80s. They said you've got to kick over some sacred cows every now and then. And to a degree, I'm not kicking over sacred cows, but what I am saying is I'm challenging the way that we have always been taught these things, even to the degree of criticism from amongst my peers. So now Luke records it. Master, but when shall these things be, and what sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? And so the events then that are described are very climatic and traumatic. Jesus spoke of a time of tribulation unlike any which the world had not seen up until that time and hereafter, he said. And so it was extremely traumatic. I believe that what Jesus prophesied found its fulfillment in 70 AD and even before that, 64 through 77 years, where the city was in a tumultuous time and eventually again the famine, the pestilence, and ultimately the demise of the city. I don't have time to take you into that any deeper. I just wanted you to know that if you look at this passage a little bit differently, then when you read the, 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 the following verses of Scripture, it might change your perspective. I've said it all along. It was prophecy to the 10th de- degree. It was so accurate that it came to pass exactly as Jesus said. It's wrong for us to rob his prophetic words in trying to make it fit our generation so that we can justify the book that somebody wrote on prophecy.com. See, I've found great comfort to know that the Messiah... Set against the temple and said, I'm telling you, it's going to be destroyed. And 40 years later, it happened exactly as he said. Why do I believe that? Why, am I, why does that bring me great hope? Because if he said it and it came to pass, then if he said that those that have died in Christ, right, will the Lord bring with him, then I have a great confidence that because his prophetic word has been fulfilled to a T, so it doesn't take away from my belief, it adds to my belief when I have the, I believe the proper understanding of the text. Now often, and the reason why I'm going to go ahead and, how many of you know there's a conflict in Israel right now, the state of Israel, with the Palestinians and primarily not as much with the Palestinians as with the Hamas. And so it sounds like a, a dish that we could get after lunch here, doesn't it doesn't, we have to be careful with that. Especially, y'all know I don't always pronounce words correctly here. So, But but it, but it is, it's, it's wrenching to our hearts. We watch it. We observe it. But I also note this. Anytime there's any type of activity in the, the state of Israel, the modern state of Israel, then we quickly begin to shift our affection, our attention, and we, and we begin to... Make that an end-time event. I can't say whether it's an end-time event or not. I can't say if it's the conflict that's there is going to have any bearing on the imminent return of the Lord. I know that I believe that we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But I also believe I should pray for the Palestinian. Come on now. The Palestinian needs Jesus the same way as that Orthodox Jew needs Jesus. Right? And so and maybe sometime, I'm going to make the statement now that's going to hurt some of your feelings, but I'm not going to kick you into great dialogue with it. But I'm going to go ahead and let you know today that the modern state of Israel is not the same as the nation of Israel that you read about in the Old Covenant. That's going to shock some of you to hear. Just it, population alone, over 2 million of the 8 million people are Arabic. Don't have anything to do with Jewish lineage. So, just have to, there's a lot of factors there that we often don't get taught about in our modern day prophecy conferences because they don't sell books. My messages don't sell books, right? My, my, I mean, it's not flamboyant enough. It's not, it's not exuberant enough. I mean, you can't put the flames up on the screen, you know? And, 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 and so, but at the same time, I'm a realist here today. And I'm also somebody that I want to be true to the text. So, again, now don't think for a moment that I'm speaking anything anti against. Praying for the peace of Jerusalem. I literally pray that prayer on a regular basis. Lord, I pray for salvation. Romans chapter 16, for the Jew first, or excuse me, Romans 1 verse 16. Salvation for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. Are y'all out there? So, but let me show you where I think again the error of this passage before I really shift real quickly is in Matthew 24, it's based upon. Jesus then said, well, when are these going to things going to happen? We try to make it about our generation. They base it upon his reference to the fig tree. So the fig tree is often associated with Israel. Verse 32, learn a parable of the fig tree. When its branches yet tender and put it forth as leaves, you know that summer is nigh. And so I've heard for many years, the fig tree of Israel, it began to and rebloom and re in 1948. And so I've told you before, there was great emphasis in 1988, because there's a word that gets used here in four verses, generation. Many times people perceive biblically a generation is 40 years. So in 1988, I received the baptism in the Holy Spirit in 1986, and so I was right coming into the Pentecostal movement at that time. And I can't tell you the sermons and the emphasis and the teaching on the sudden and the imminent return or the rapture of the church because now we were 40 years from 1948 but 1988 came and went and then so then somebody reconfigured and reconfiguring they said well a generation could be 70 years so they added seventy years to it, and that took us to 2018. But that now has come and went. So then somebody went back and reconfigured and said, "Well, it wasn't when they regathered as a nation; it was when they took the old city of Jerusalem in the Seven Day War in 1967." So they added 40 years to 19 excuse me 1967, and so that time came and went. So the only time to fit in that narrative is 70 years from 1967, and we haven't reached that quite as yet. But do you see how you can get caught up in something? that leaves you chasing your tail I'm gonna we'll say that very respectfully and i mean that in the in the in the simplest way if i can and so you got to be very very careful and say i want to be guarded of this so in this passage about the fig tree i've heard that over and over well they they validate it by saying well that's when jesus said when this fig tree begins to bloom it began to bloom with the history of israel and in verse 34 jesus said this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled Here's the problem with using verse 34, are y'all out there, and saying this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. The term, the two words, this generation, are used 15 times in the Gospels by one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. They're used three times in the Olivet Discourse recorded by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All. Each gospel writer records it. But the other 12 times that he uses the phrase, this generation, it always means the generation that he's looking in the eye when he said the words. So for some reason, we think it is sound biblical, what is it called, Jace? exegis? It's sound biblical study to, that we should then redefine the way the word is entirely used that's totally erroneous to sound biblical exegis it's it's used this way for 12 verses throughout the throughout jesus's teaching that jesus meant this generation matter of fact in the 23rd chapter when he was in the temple he looked at those remember how i said that scathing rebuke of the pharisees remember what he told them real quickly he said, I, he said I, Jesus, was, uh, there was that was a frustrating moment. He said, you, uh, he said, you will search high and low to make uh, one proselyte to Judaism, and when you do, you make him twice the, uh, the child of hell of yourself. And Jesus said, he said, I want you to know that the blood of every righteous prophet is going to come on this generation. He said, Every Every, every righteous prophet that suffered from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, whom they slew between the altar and the porch, is going to be required of this generation. Less than 30 minutes later, 45 minutes later, he uses the same phrase again, this generation, but somehow it means our generation. I'm challenging it today, but that's okay. That's what Pastor Rem. Maybe, I hate to say this, you'd say, Pastor, well, I bought so-and-so's book, and you know I could call out some really supposed Bible scholars here today but who says they're right? Maybe it's a hillbilly up here in Arkansas. Who am I to say, who are you, right? To just say, well, we'll just see. Let's go a little bit farther. Many other questions could be raised. Does the coming of the the Son of Man mean the same as the coming of our Lord Jesus? Why does the New Testament writer seem to indicate a belief in the return of the Lord during their lifetime? Did y'all catch that? You have to be honest. The Apostle Paul seemed to indicate when he said we. Are y'all there? Oh, it's real quiet. Let me just preach on. Lord, I need you to just drop down a special anointing. Was the book of Revelation written before the destruction of Jerusalem or after? Are prophecy experts really experts when their times and seasons change? (laughs) Oh, gosh, I'm preaching it anyhow. The term I'm laying it all on the line, even the old AG license if I have to. The term last days or latter times has been applicable to the first century church and many other generations. Did you know wrong? Hebrews chapter number 1 verse number 1 says God at sundry times and divers manners spake unto us by the prophets in the past but hath in these last days. Two thousand years ago the last days were called the last days. Right? So often our belief, here's the reason why I believe, you got to be careful with this, often our belief rests in our theology concerning the Lord's return is me-centric, not Christ-centric. Why do you say it's me-centric? It's because I think I am so important to God's kingdom that there's no way he didn't save the best for last. That's right, that's right. I know that we had John Knox bringing revival to Scotland. I know John Wesley brought us the doctrine of sanctification. I know that, that Luther nailed his 95 thesis to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany, and started the Reformation and all that. But man, they were good, but they weren't as good as I am. God had to have me on the scene last. Well, I'm just telling you the truth. you got to be very careful. It's not about me, it's about Him. It's about His will, His purposes, the the purposes and the plans of God. That's all we should be in pursuit of. Our belief that we are going in the rapture, let me tell you, and you might be going in the rapture, but I I want you to know today I have watched people fail to live properly and often abandon our own involvement in our families and even politically because we believe we're going in the rapture. It was just a few weeks ago, I was conducting a funeral service right here in this city. And we were at the graveside, and when I was around the graveside, I started thinking about, you know what, I don't have a place picked out for where me and Sister Sherry go to be with Jesus. If we're still alive, we're going to eventually, I mean, if we're not alive at the time of his return, that means we went by the way of the grave. And, I, and so I was mentioning to that to a lady, and I said, I really like this <laughs> I know it's kind of morbid. Pastors think this way. I said, I really like this cemetery. I was looking around. I said, this is one of my favorite ones. And I said, "I said, where do you have your graveside at? Oh, she said, Brother bro, I don't have one. I'm going in the rapture. She's 82 years old. She's 82. But what that said to me was, is that I've been so, I have a belief that, that I have been holding to so dearly. And I didn't challenge her belief in that. But what, I said, what it says to me is, I'm going to leave Others, possibly, to have to make decisions for me that I should have made for myself. All right, now, I'm just going to keep on going. But then don't even get me started about our willingness to abandon our involvement politically. We've been willing to back up from the government, back up from the school system, back up from the media, back up from everything, because we're expecting the Lord's just going to come down here and snatch us out of here. While some snatching took place, the devil and his henchmen and the spirit of Antichrist snatched but he didn't snatch you, but he snatched our systems while we were expecting the Lord to come take us out. You know what I pray? God, put them back in. God, call us a Daniel. Call us. Come on, somebody who will go. Give us an Esther who will walk in and stand between destruction and the king and intercede on our behalf. That's what I pray. God, put them back in. Don't just let them be snatched out. And I've got to move on real quickly, though. I'm going to leave this one part alone right here. I'm going to omit a big portion and come back because I'm running out of time here. The coming of the Lord, let's look at the text here real quickly. The coming of the Lord with a resurrection power is to comfort one another. Right? I believe it with all my heart today that as he lives, so shall I live also. Do you believe that? I want you to say, Pastor, well, then What's your doctrine? If your doctrine is a little bit different than what if I gain out of reading a book, Escape the Coming Night, or uh, The fivefold of blue, Blood Moons, or something of that nature, Pastor, if your doctrine's a little bit, well, my doctrine, I'm going to be honest, I like what Paul, the way Paul penned it here, 1 Thessalonians 5. Can we walk that down in closing here today? Are y'all out there? Let's look at it real quickly. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. So there's a a common perception here. So either you're going to kind of have an inkling, maybe your inkling's correct, or maybe it doesn't matter whether you know the times and seasons because the reality is, verse 2, the day of the Lord's going to come as a thief in the night. And the the thief concept is not just to steal away, because that's what we've been taught it's about, stealing away, but it's not as much about stealing away as it is sudden. It's suddenness. Because look what he said, verse 3. He said, for when they shall say, who's that? The unbelievers, the heathens. That's the people, that the scoffers, then the mockers who Peter writes about. When they say peace and safety, then here's the warning to challenge us. Then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. One of the issues that I've had, I've told you I'm just transparent with the rapture teaching there's a depth to it that is based upon uh, what we know as what's called Daniel's 70th week I can't develop that thought to you today but what we have been taught for many years is that when the church is raptured that there's going to be three and a half years of peace because of a peace accord made by the Antichrist with Israel and everything's going to be good but the people that were kind of a part of the church but they weren't genuinely saved when the rapture takes place they're going to come rushing to the church and they're going to cry out and there's going to be this great revival and even a noted assembly of god minister whose name i could call out and the majority of you would know his name wrote a book what to do if you miss the rapture and so when i thought about that many years ago i said so god you're going to tell me that the greatest revival that the world has ever seen is when the church is gone how can that make sense in god's equation And so when I look at it this way, I don't see it. I see it as sudden destruction. I told you before, I think the danger of the rapture doctrine is this. It's the doctrine of second chance. I don't believe there is any second chance in this. You better make your calling and election sure. Young, old, been to church all your life, or walked in for the very first time to hear me preach this morning. You better know today that if you pillow your head in death, that you have got a a faith that has secured you a spot in God's eternal kingdom. Because at his return, in my personal belief, there is no, so there is no time to buy the book. No make up ground. And so and also one of the things I wrote down in my notes, and because I omitted something, I want to go back to it real quickly. I wrote, here was a question I didn't go to a moment ago. I said, does the message help or hinder young adults? The message of the imminent return of the Lord Jesus. Does that help or hinder because it, 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 if, you, if you misapply it, it can hinder. And so, because it, 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 in one sense, it's almost like we back some of them into a corner and say you have no future. And I believe that's wrong as well, don't you, Joe? I believe that we, it's a little bit of both, isn't it? Isn't it living every day with an expectation in your heart that he could come at any moment? But then, at the same time saying, God, but as long as I'm here, I want to be doing what you called me to do. I want to be busy about your kingdom. I don't want to be hunkered down, hiding out, saying, God, I'm afraid like Penny that the sky is falling. But, God, I came along to say that I have an anointing upon my life to be a bright and a shining light, to give witness to the glory of God, to the power of his cross, to the power of his resurrection, and the power of his return. That's what I want to see young adults have. I want to see them. It is an inner tension. It is a place you have to find. You have to accept it in your heart. You believe in the imminent return of Christ, but you also live and you plan accordingly for your future and the future of the church and the future of your family and the future of the community. Let's go a little bit farther. But, brethren, who are we? We are not in darkness. (laughs) Hallelujah. I'm not in darkness. I, I, I'm in the light, praise God. Are you in the light today? I hope you're in the light with me. He said, so that day's not going to overtake me as a thief. What it means is is nothing's going to be stolen from me. Right? Nothing's, I'm not going to be ashamed at his coming. Right? I don't, want to, I don't want you to be ashamed. Well, how can you have that confidence? Stay with me. Paul gives it to us a little bit farther. I know I can read it on the screen. I preach from a different Bible on Sundays. This is my study Bible from home. So I chose to bring it here on Sunday because I'm more familiar with it. You are the children of light. Listen, I know we think for a moment that the, the Lady Liberty is holding the light of freedom for men and women around the world. Let me tell you, the Lady Liberty is not holding the light. You and I are holding the light. We're holding the light. It's the word of Almighty God. It's the light of Christ emanating in us and shining out through us. Come on, somebody. Shining through us in this darkened culture. He said, therefore, let us not sleep. It's time, in Romans 14, he said, it's time to wake up from sleep. Right, He said, so what, what does that mean, to sleep as others? He used sleep to speak of death in the fourth chapter, but here he's talking about a spiritual slumberness. He said, but it's, let us watch and be sober. Watch, be vigilant, be aware, don't be blind. Hey, listen, I don't just accept everything that comes from the government. I know that can make you radical right there, can it? But I'm going to watch whether it's the spirit of antichrist whether it's not i don't know but i just want to watch and be sober and live guarded i don't just accept everything that comes down from the denomination right because denominations can miss the whole will of god so you be guarded he said watch and be sober he said if you're asleep the folks that sleep they sleep in the night they're drunken in the night But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate. Look at this, three things, three spiritual forces that must be active in the heart and life of every believer, faith, hope, and love, right? is isn't 1 Corinthians 13 that says there are three things that remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Love which right, right, faith which worketh by love. The love of God works in our heart. It compels us to be who God's called us to be. It compels us to send missionaries. It compels us to go on to the public school campus. It compels us to get up and go every day to take care of our family. We're moved by the love of God because I want every part of my life to bring him glory. I want everything that I do and I am, not just uh, in, in, a, in a sudden fear of his return, but I want, I want when he comes back him to look at my life and say, well done thou good and faithful servant man i'm about to preach myself happy in here today for god i love verse number nine has not appointed us unto wrath but to obtain salvation by our lord jesus christ that's the hope of the gospel right there that if you're in christ you're not appointed to eternal destruction that right you've been preserved or saved from wrath through him look at this he died for us that whether here he goes back to chapter number four whether you wake in this situation, or sleep, he said, or whether you, we will live together. He said, so if you're awake, living, or you've already passed into eternity, he said, if you had authentic faith in Christ, you walked in love, and that you had faith, and you had hope, the hope of salvation, he said, then you're going to be raised together with him, glory to God. Does that make sense? Now, I could pause right there, and I could be happy, but I'm not finished yet because Paul wasn't finished. Can we read this in closing here today? This is going to help you. My, go- my job is to encourage you, instruct you, and comfort you. And also at times to warn you. And if you follow all the newest prophecy teachings, you're going to continually be in a cycle. Because Contin- it's easy. If it doesn't happen, you can just readjust. You just reboot. That's what happens. You know, you you can go back and look at some of the famous prophecy writers of what was called our generation, and many of their books are now discredited because the events didn't come to pass the way they told us that they would. But I want you to know that Paul's writing hasn't changed. Whether you're awake or whether you sleep, we're going to live together with him. So what's that do to us? What's that do for you? Let's close and read this together. I want to be comforted together. And I want to edify one another. I want to see your life built up so you can be all that God's called you to be. And what this is implying in this first generation is you couldn't hardly be edified if you didn't come to church. So I look closely into that television camera back there, which is actually Facebook Live. And I encourage everybody. I know, I know that you may feel limited from the fellowship because of The COVID pandemic but as we have moved past a lot of that be very careful to not be trapped into the fact that you think that you can get what you need in your living room I know that it can be in your living room but this is his living room right now I'm not trying to criticize anybody everybody had to respond differently to the pandemic correct everybody had their own personal convictions but I know human nature and I know the weakness of our flesh, and I know that church is habitual. You are habitually involved? Oh, well, let's go on down right now. Verse number 12, so we beseech you, brethren, know those that labor among you and over you in the Lord, and admonish you and to esteem them highly in love for their work's sake. Everybody ought to have a pastor. Everybody ought to be submitted to a pastor, somebody that watches for your soul. Everybody ought to be able to have a personal relationship, at least to the degree that you have communion or fellowship at some level with pastoral leaders in your life. Your life is better when you come underneath the wing of spiritual leaders who are who guard your soul, who love you, who teach you, who challenge you. And even when we don't disagree, we still or we don't agree, we still love one another. Isn't that right? I believe that pastor. That's what Paul's teaching here. He said, now we exhort you, brethren, you can ask yourself, which one am I on this? Am I the one that needs to warn the unruly? Or are you the unruly? Are you the one that needs to comfort the feeble-minded? Or are you the feeble-minded? I'll do it one last time. Are you the one that needs to support the weak? Are you the weak? Somewhere along the line, you find yourself in there. Verse 15, don't render evil for evil. Remember, now, why is he putting all these things down? He's putting it in the backdrop of the coming of the Lord. This is what you do. This is how you live with that expectation that Christ is going to come. You don't just stand there gazing, waiting for his return, and you don't just read prophecy book after prophecy book. You live your life for the glory of God, to build up the body of Christ, to be a bright and a shining light. That's what you do right to all men and then he said look right here he said don't render evil for evil and in our generation that's tough to do if ever there was a time the sermon on the mound needs to be a part of your theology if you get slapped one cheek you better because listen we got it we, we live in a violent generation a wicked generation be very careful that you don't render evil for evil right but follow that which is good among yourselves uh, and amongst all men right into all men and i love verse number 16 i'm going to rejoice evermore and in, in another passage, he said, and again I say, Paul said, I'm going to repeat it. He said, rejoice evermore. That means, say, Pastor, did you not know there's conflict in the Middle East? You know what? I do. I pray for that situation. I'm going to rejoice evermore. Pastor, did you know that communist China, and there's a lot of trying? Yes, absolutely. I'm praying for the martyrs. Uh, uh, I pray for those that are persecuted for their faith. And one day you and I may be those that are being persecuted for our faith. But through it all, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to rejoice evermore. I'm going to rejoice in the goodness and the grace and the love of Almighty God. I'm going to rejoice in the fact that I was a sinner and I needed a Savior. I'm going to rejoice in the fact that I didn't find him, but he found me, redeemed me, saved me, and changed me, and now planted me in his kingdom, and now I want to flourish. I want to be fat and flourishing in the kingdom of God. Are y'all out there? So I'm going to rejoice in God, and then I'm going to pray without ceasing. I'm going to keep my mind stayed upon the Lord. I want to think and pray, and that means I want to live in a constant state of prayer. Prayer is twofold in this passage. That means you need to steal away and pray like the old hymn said, right? There still needs to be a place in your life where you say, that's where I go to pray. Jesus went to a garden to pray. Jesus went to a hill or a high place to pray. It was something, it was a place. We all need that. But you know what? That means when you're at work, you need to be under your breath. Lord, I just want to thank you today. I just love you, Lord. No matter what you're working on, if at all possible, and you have quiet times, you keep yourself in a constant communication with the Father. Right? You're just communing with him under your breath, thanking him, Lord, I just love you. God, I'm interceding. Lord, I'm praying for the will of God to be done in the earth as it is in heaven. Just a constant pray without ceasing. Are you ready? And everything, I'm going to give God thanks. No matter whether I'm going through the most traumatic season of my life or whether or not I'm on the mountaintop, I want to give God thanks because that's his will for my life. Did y'all hear that? That's his will for your life, It's to give God thanks. Are you ready? And then you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to quench the spirit. This is why I said this is a part of our Pentecostal emphasis. And during the days, you say, Pastor, we live in the last days. I don't know last days. All I know is is that I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I want to quench not the Spirit. God, let the Spirit of God move. If there are churches in our community that have put a barrier up and said, God, we don't want the rain of heaven, then let it hit that barrier. God, roll right here to 1009 West Cersei Street because, God, we don't want to quench the Spirit of God. I want to, want to quench Him in here, and I want to quench Him in here. And I don't want to quench Him in my life and my lifestyle. I want to always be embracing Him. I want to despise, not prophesy, which means I want to see the prophetic unction awaken in every one of you. And that's why we call ourselves a Pentecostal church. We are going to so aggravate you to the degree that you are going to eventually open your mouth. And when you open your mouth, God will fill it with a prophetic word. And you will change the future of your family when you begin to speak the prophetic word. Word of God over your family, glory to God. We're gonna despise not prophesying. I say, God, make all of God's children prophets, Lord. That's my prayer. And so he goes on, and then he said, Here, let's read it down in closing. He said, Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. If you're gonna to hold to that which is good, sometimes you gotta let go of some stuff, right? And so, there's how many know when you really start getting serious about God? in your life, that you'll go through some changes, some growing changes, and some things that you used to think your world couldn't exist without, you start just saying, now I got something else. Now I'm just going to let it go. I'm going to let it go because God's got something else for me. Are y'all out there today? Right here, let's close with this. Abstain from all appearance of evil, right? And here's my prayer, that I'm praying for you, and I'm praying for me in light of, remember the title of my message, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how I pray. And God, would you sanctify me holy, My whole spirit, my soul, my spirit, that's, that's in here. How many of you know that's in here? That's where the spirit of God joined with my spirit and brought life to me. But my spirit can get congested, right? And, or, or the spirit can, can, can uh, uh, not be exercised, but, but if I pray, I keep him strong. And so, God, I want my, my spirit to be sanctified. My soul, that's my mind, my will and emotions. Lord, let my thoughts be pure. God, I wanna, if, when I think on something evil, God, let me cast it down in the name of Jesus. God, if I look upon something that's wrong, God, and a mental image gets created in my mind, I want to pull it down in the name of Jesus. Are y'all hearing me today? I pray, O oh God, and then, Father, in my body, every part of my life, God, I pray it is what? It is sanctified, and in my spirit, my soul, and my what? And my body be what? Preserved, blameless unto what? Remember the title of the message? Unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's my end-time message for you here today. My end-time message is you don't, not necessarily, if you want to buy the books, you keep buying the books. You want to have that conversation with people, you have that conversation with people. But at the end of the day, make your prayer, Father, sanctify me in my spirit. Sanctify me in my soul and sanctify me in my mind. Let everything that I am be to the glory of Almighty God. In you I live, in you I move, and in you I have my very being. Let me walk in love. Let me be full of the Holy Ghost. Let me prophesy life over my family, over my children, and my children's children. Let me be able to discern right from wrong, good from evil. Let me know the truth and the authentic against that which is evil and that which is fake. Let me be filled with the Holy Spirit. When I hear that which is not right, I reject it. But when I hear that which is right, it agitates my spirit, and I lift my hands toward God, and I thank Him for the truth of His Word. And I live my life for God's glory in light of the coming The imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank God for it. So that's my end time message for you today. As Daryl joins me on the platform, we're going to stand up in this house. We're going to pray a prayer of closing, aren't we, church family? Hmm, what's that going to be? How long did I preach? Probably a long time today. Obviously, I had a lot to say. Right? (laughs) Who gave me that amen? That was a good one right there. I appreciate you, Tyler. Thank you. Whether right or wrong, I did have a lot to say. You You have to decide amongst yourself, church family. You have to decide. I'm not trying to be critical, even though it sounds like I am. I'm trying to provide a little bit of balance. If all you've ever been taught is one vein of thought related to even this critical issue of the coming of the Lord, you might be surprised when you discover that There have been a lot of authentic, sincere, spirit-filled believers who had different theology than what gets shown us on TBN. I'm just being honest with y'all today, okay? So my job is to challenge you to study, to search these things out for yourself, right? Have a theology based upon not somebody else's book, but your own personal study. See, I'm confident that I can stand in front of you today. I've read many of those books. I've studied intently on this subject matter for years now, studied deeply. And I arrived at a place where I said, God, I I just can't minister it the way that it's being ministered by people that I love and respect, and I deeply appreciate their ministry. And I've kind of hid in the shadows just a little bit because I didn't want to, I I don't want to create unbelief. I want to make sure that you understand that I believe in the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. With all my heart, I believe in that. I just don't get focused on some of the other things that are so prevalent in the teachings on eschatology. Whether I'm right or wrong, I can't say. I'm just saying in my spirit, in my spirit. So when I read 1 Thessalonians, Paul challenges the people, the coming of the Lord like a thief. Uh, be sober, be vigilant, be watchful, but man, he shifts to just being who God's called you to be. Be a bright and a shining light, be full of the Holy Spirit, embrace the work of His Spirit in your heart and life. i ask you to do something with me today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes in the presence of the Lord. Now I'm going to give a twofold invitation here today. First of all, It would be wrong for me today to not maybe think that it's possible that there could be someone among us today who maybe doesn't have a true profession of faith in Christ. Verse 8 of chapter 5 spoke about a helmet or a breastplate of salvation, I think it was, and faith and hope. Do you have... So really what that says to me is an assurance. It's an assurance do you have the assurance that if he were to come today if the eastern sky were to part and the glorious return of Christ were to be today do you have faith and assurance that you would be received into his presence would it be would it be reward for faith Or would it be sudden destruction for you? If you search yourself and you say, Pastor, I don't have that assurance. You need that assurance today. You can receive it. You can receive it as freely as if I could walk up and put a gift in your hand. I can give you this same thing. It's a gift of grace today. The gift of grace. If you're here today, I've got to ask you that. It would be wrong for me to preach about the coming of the Lord And not give somebody, under the sound of my voice, an opportunity to receive the free gift of grace in this house. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, Pastor, I really, I don't have that assurance. Would you pray with me? Slip your hand up. I'll pray with you today. I'm looking. No one's looking around. It's just me. It's old-time religion here today. It's the old-time preaching right here where you say, you know, no eyes are looking up nobody's looking around it's just between me and the preacher today if that's you honestly is there anybody I'm waiting on you today I'm going to give you a moment secondly today I said it's a two-fold invitation who would pray a prayer with me that's found in verse 23 and mean it and truly mean it in light of his coming remember I said there's an inner tension you have to accept it young adults hear me you have to accept it. You have to accept that the imminent return of Christ, you live with it every day. It could be today. Not just tomorrow or the next day or 30 years from now. It could be today. But then you also have to live your life planning your future to be able to be who God's called you to be. It's an it's a ebb and flow. It's not one without the other. It should never be one without the other. It should always be both. And so... If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I, I, I believe in his return and your message has stirred me, stirred me today. Perhaps it's nearer now than when we believed. Time could be short. I don't know. I just know that he promises his return and I want to embrace it. And I embrace it by praying this prayer. It's verse 23. Who will pray that prayer with me today and mean it in your heart? I want to ask you all to pray it with me if you would. Let's pray it. And let's mean it. Now, if you if you don't mean it, these are just words. These are just this is just your way to hasten the end of this service, thinking if I go ahead and do lip service to the preacher today, he'll hurry up and get me out of here. Because I don't want to look, I don't want to leave and other, everybody know that I'm slipping out of here before he's finished. If that's if that's your heart, I want to ask you to change your heart. My my prayer is God sanctifies. Will you pray that with me right now, Father? Would you sanctify us? And mean it. God sanctified. What does sanctify mean, Pastor? Set me apart. Consecrate my life. Consecrate my spirit. Let my spirit, God, let my spirit be pure before yours. I want a pure spirit. Have you ever been around people who said, Man, they had a sweet spirit, not a critical spirit. I don't want a critical spirit, do you? I want a sweet spirit. I want people to be drawn to Jesus in my life. I want them to, I want them to, when they're around me, they're like, that's, the, that's the fragrance. <laughs> of the resurrected one. Come on now. That should be our prayer in here today. God, sanctify my spirit. Now who will pray with me? Say, God, sanctify my soul. God, give me the ability to make good decisions, God, that things that have been in my mind, my thoughts, my imaginations. Lord, let me take control of my thoughts. Hello, somebody. Amen. God, let me think on that which is good and just and pure and holy. God, let me think on those things. Let me not think evil about other people. Let me not think evil about my spouse or my children or my co-workers or my church family. God, but let me think good things, God. God, put good thoughts in my mind, I pray, so that I can think on those things. Isn't that what he said in Philippians 4? Think on these things. God, help me to think on that which is just and good, pure and holy. And then lastly, God, sanctify my body. God, my, my whole flesh, my fleshly appetite, God, that I can mortify ungodly desires, that I can be pleasing to you in every area of my life. Listen to this, church family, so that Lord, if you were to appear, I would not be ashamed at your coming. Can you pray that prayer with me today? And I want to give you just a moment in your own way. We've been praying that, what prayer? Collectively, But I want to give you, and we're going to close. I'm going to speak a blessing over you, and I'm going to let you out. It's right at noon. I haven't kept you too long. You gave me your time. I honor you for that. You gave our staff, our preachers, our worship team. You gave us your time. And I pray we've given you something that's positive for your life. So would you take just a moment and make, a, make this a person between you and God right here. Whether you pray it out loud or just under your breath, to, between you and the Father, then just take a moment. Take a moment. Father, I bless the people. My church family. I've challenged them today. Whether the doctrine confuses some, or disappoints some, or inspires some, I don't know, Father. I, I have to. I believe I've preached my convictions, and I pray that you honor that, Lord, in the name of Jesus. I do pray that you honor that. I pray, if anything, it causes us to study, to read and meditate the Scriptures, to read what the apostles themselves said, those who had divine revelation, even concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I'm so grateful for the men and women that I get to Not only worship with, but I get to experience life with and love and sharpen as iron sharpens iron. We sharpen each other through our faith, through our disciplines, through our encouragement. God, I pray that you would bless this church family as they go out, as they get in their vehicles and they start to converse on the way home. There's going to be some kind of, what did you think about the message? Well, what did you think of the message? Well, God, I just pray that it's a spark. It becomes something that they communicate. Parents can turn to their children and, and they'll be told, what, what, about, what do you think about the coming of the Lord? How does that affect you, teenager? How does that, you know, or, or adolescent student, or, you know, how, how, what are you thinking about this? And just conversation that keeps our eyes vertical, God. That's my prayer. I just pray that at the end of the day, it produces edification, that we all comfort one another and we edify one another. So I bless the people to go out full of the Holy Spirit, God, sanctified in spirit, soul, and body in light of, say it with me, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's children said amen and amen. 1201. Glory to